How's your soul? How is your soul? That's not a question that we typically ask ourselves or one another. We normally say things like, how are you doing? And we respond by saying, I'm okay, I'm fine, I'm busy, or what have you been up to? Well, I've just been running errands, or oh, not a lot. We focus on the surface, and we ask surface questions, but there's a question that goes down deep, and this is the question. It's the question I want you to be thinking about as I talk for an hour and a half up here. I'm just kidding. It won't be that long. As I talk up here, I want you to think about this question. How is your soul? Pete Scazzaro, he's a a well-known author, and he's a pastor in New York, he has this very helpful analogy of an iceberg. So here's a, here's a picture of an iceberg. And he says what we think about most is the tip of the iceberg. We think about what other people can see. We think about how we present ourselves to other people. We think about whether or not we smoke or chew or go with girls that do. We think about the top of the iceberg. But really what we need to be focusing on is that 90% that is underneath the surface. And that 90% is our soul. So let me ask you again, how is your soul? Because our soul is the part that needs to be radically transformed by the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to be talking about the soul, but when we talk about the soul, when we say the word soul, what do we think about? Well, for some of you, you probably think of the new Disney movie called Soul. Here's a picture of it right on the screen Soul. Yeah, it's a good, yesterday Janelle and I, we went to our friend's house at 9.30 in the morning and with their two-year-old son, they were watching this movie, Soul. Others of you, when you hear the word soul, you think about maybe a, a dead body and how like a soul departs from a dead body. I don't, I don't know what you think about the soul, but what I want us to do today is to think about the biblical understanding of what a soul is. And I think there's two passages that are really helpful for us. There's more than that, but two that I want to focus on today. And the first comes in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. Genesis 2, uh, verse 7 is all about um, God has created Adam, the first human being in this perfect world. And here's what it says. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man out of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living Creature. The word there is the Hebrew word nephesh. It's the word soul. So God breathed his breath of life into this man and he became a living soul. So in some sense, our soul is everything about us. It's who we are. It's what some people will call our inner world or our inner life. And then there's another passage, Psalm 103, verse 1. We read it earlier. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. The soul is everything that is within me. The soul is everything about me, including our bodies. That's why today, if you look at our stage decor, our kids have been doing a great job. But as you look at it, you see our eyes, our heart, our mouth, our hands, our feet, but there's no soul. Well, the reason is because if we wanted to represent the soul, it would need to be all of that in one. So our souls are everything about us, including our bodies, but our souls are even more than that. I find this a helpful graph from the philosopher Dallas Willard. And if, if you're like, I'm so confused, don't worry about it, <laughs> it's okay. But in this graph, you see that the soul 
it encompasses our body. It encompasses our minds and our thoughts. It encompasses our will, which he's just talking about, our hearts and our feelings. Our soul is all of that wrapped into one. And so if we want a definition of the soul, the soul is the totality of our being. It's everything about us. And it's also our inner world or our inner soul. So let me ask you one last time, how's your soul? How is your inner world? How is it? Because for some of us, whether we realize it or not, everything that we do, it forms our soul. It shapes our soul, either positively or negatively. And so what we're going to talk about today is we're going to talk about three lessons that we learn about the soul and then how we worship God using our souls. And we're going to do that from Psalm chapter 63. So go ahead and turn there in your Bible, Psalm chapter 63. If you don't have one, there's one in the back of the pew. And if you don't want to look at that one, we will also have the scriptures on the screen as well. But I think the first lesson that we'll see from Psalm chapter 63 is that our soul desires God. Our soul, every single one of us, our soul desires God. And we see that in the very first verse. So here's what Psalm 63 says. It begins and it tells us that this is a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And then it begins in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Our soul desires God. And David writes this psalm. We're not exactly sure where in, Jesus, or in David's life where he wrote this psalm, but he probably wrote it somewhere in 2 Samuel 15 through 17. And in this point in David's story, he was the king, but his son, Absalom, he wants the throne. And so he does a mutiny of his own father. And so he chases his father out of the kingdom, trying to kill him. And David, he runs into the wilderness. So it's here where David, he's running away from his, son, from his son, he feels isolated, he's away from the kingdom, and he prays this prayer, Lord, I seek you, I desire you, and he gives us this vivid image of his soul thirsting for God. It makes sense for David to say this when he's in a desert, right? He's dehydrated and he's yearning for the presence of God, but he feels like he is far away from him. He feels distant from him. Have you ever been dehydrated before? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. Every single one of us has been dehydrated before. When we wake up every morning, our bodies feel dehydrated. And so we just, what do you do? Well, you're supposed to, doctors say, you just guzzle down some water. Or maybe this summer you've been out playing in the pool and you get really hot or you go and you mow your yard for an hour, an hour and a half. And when you come in, what feels so good when you're drenched in sweat is to come into that AC, if you have it, and to drink a nice cold cup of water because it is refreshing for our bodies. And David here, he is praying. He is praying to experience the presence of God because he knows that if he can experience God's presence, it will be satisfying to his soul. Our souls, they need God. I grew up uh, being a huge Harry Potter fan. Some of you might look at me and throw stones at me, but I loved Harry Potter growing up and read every single one of them. The movies are pretty good too. But in one of the Harry Potters, uh, Harry goes and he finds the mirror of Erised. Here's a picture of it. And the mirror of Erised is said to show you your deepest desire, what you desire most in life. And so when Harry, when he looks into this mirror, what he sees is his parents. Because his parents were killed when he 
was a baby trying to sacrifice their lives for him. And so when, when Harry looks into this mirror, he sees his parents. And so he goes and he tells his best friend, Ron Weasley, his trusty sidekick, he says, come look, you can see my parents. But when Ron looks into the mirror, he doesn't see Harry's parents. Instead, he sees himself as a Quidditch star, basically one of the greatest athletes in the world. They had just won the Quidditch cup, and so he is being praised by everybody. That was Ron's deepest desire. But if you looked into this mirror, the mirror of Irised, what would you see? Would you, like Harry, would you see maybe a lost loved one and just one more moment of being with them? Would you be kind of like Ron and see yourselves just full of awards and praised by many? Would you see just stacks and stacks of cash because that's what you desire most in life is money? Would you see yourself, but would you see yourself happier and prettier and more confident? If you looked into the mirror of Erised, what would your deepest desire be? In Harry Potter, they said that if you were the healthiest person you could be, when you looked into that mirror, you would just see yourself. But I think that's not quite right. I think the healthiest we can be if we looked into, our, into that mirror, what we would see is the person of Jesus Christ. Because our souls are most satisfied in him. Our souls need God and they long for, they yearn for a relationship with the living God of the universe. Our souls can only find their satisfaction truly in Jesus. And Jesus actually, he says this about himself in John chapter 4. In John chapter 4, Jesus is tired and he goes to a well in the middle of the day. You need to know that even Jesus was tired. Even Jesus would sweat out here in the summer. And so Jesus, he went to this well to get a drink of water. And at this well, there was a woman. And this woman was there at the well in the middle of the day, which is not normal. Because, you know, if you're, it's blazing hot outside, you would go in the morning or you would go at night. But she was so ashamed of her life. She had been divorced five times and she was now living with a person who wasn't her husband. And so she was ashamed, she was isolated, and she was going to this well to get a water to drink, but she sees Jesus there, this man who is a teacher. And so she says to him, teacher, this is from John chapter 4, verse 13 and 14, she says to him, teacher, give me a drink. And listen to how Jesus responds. He says to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Anybody who drinks from this well, they'll be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus is trying to transform this woman's life. He's trying to transform her soul because he knows he is what our souls desperately need. Our souls, deep down, what they need most is Jesus. You've probably heard me say this before. It's a quote from Augustine, but I'll say it again and I'll say it again and I'll say it again. He says that our souls are restless until they find their rest in God. Our souls, they desire knowing God. But what do we do when we are in a desert like David? What do we do when we're in the desert and we, we see those words from uh, verse 1 of Psalm 63 where it says, I thirst for you, I faint for you, I long for you, I, I yearn for you. 
but you just don't feel that way. You like want to feel that way, but you don't feel him. God feels distant from you. You don't feel like your heart and your soul is desiring God. What do you do? Well, David shows us what to do. He shows us how to go from desiring God to delighting in God in verses 2 through 8. Because our souls, not only do they desire God, but our souls, when they're at their healthiest, they delight in God. And listen to what it says in verse 2. It says, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. And so David, he, even though he's in the desert, he begins to look at God. He beholds his power and his glory. He is using his eyes to worship God. Remember week one, we talked about that, beholding God, looking at God. But not only does he begin by using his eyes to worship God, but he uses his mouth and his hands as well. Look at verses three and four with me. It says, because your steadfast love is better than life. I just want to pause right there. Because your steadfast love is better than life. Do you believe that about God? That his love, his loyal love is better than even life itself. If you have his love, you have everything you need. Well, David does. And he says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live in your name. I will lift up my hands. And so David, he begins worshiping with his eyes, but then he worships with his mouth and he worships with his hands. He uses his whole body to worship, to help his soul begin to delight in God. Our souls, they are designed to delight in God and to help us in moments of desperation, to help us in moments of drought to help us when we feel like God has distanced himself from us. We worship. That's what this series is all about. Because there's going to be moments in our lives when we don't feel like worshiping. And yet our souls are connected to our bodies. So when we worship with our bodies, our soul will delight in God once again. And so David, he begins to worship, using his eyes, using his mouth, and using his hands to worship God so that his soul will once again delight in God. Let me ask you again, how is your soul? How is your soul? Do you feel stuck? Do you feel restless? Do you feel unsatisfied? Do you feel like you no longer desire God? If so, begin worshiping again. Use your eyes And behold Jesus. Look to Jesus. Look to him on the cross. See him there hanging on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he desires a relationship with you. That's how valuable you are to him. You are worth dying for to him. Use your eyes to worship him. And then use your mouth to praise him. Like Use your mouth to praise him. Every single one of us, we have so many things to be grateful for. Even when we compare our lives to other people, we we might get envious or frustrated, but every single one of us has many gifts that God has given us. Thank Him for friends. Thank Him for your family. Thank Him for this church. Thank Him for His salvation. Use your mouth to praise Him and use your hands to worship Him. Go home. Some of you, what you need to do today is you're, you're just stuck right now in this little, this drought. You're stuck in this desert. What you need to do is go home and you need to just blare some Christian music, some worship music, and lift your hands and sing as loud as you can to help get you, get your soul delighting in God once again. And if that's not your thing, I know there's many of you, you're like, that's, I would never do that. Well, if that's not your thing, just go home and use your hands to serve other people. 
find a need and meet the need for the glory of Jesus Christ. When we are in this desert, when we worship God with everything we have, it pulls our souls out and helps us to delight in God once again. And so that's what happens to David in verse 5. There's a transition in verse 5. Because for the first four verses, David has been fainting for the Lord. But in verse 5, we see that David begins to feast on the Lord. Look at verses 5 through 8 with me. He says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. And so David is saying here that his soul has begun to feast on God. Why? Well, it tells us in verse 6 that he has remembered God on his bed and he has begun to meditate on him in the watches of the night. Once again, David shows us in those moments how we can delight in God. We, we can delight in God by remembering him and meditating on him when we go to bed at night, it's like David puts his head to his pillow and he begins to remember how God has been with him throughout the day. It's called the with God life because God is with you wherever you go, whether you recognize it or not. And so we must be a people who remember where God is with us. So I want to challenge you tonight when your head hits the pillow, or maybe you, you don't like sleeping with a pillow, when your head hits the bed, to remember where God was with you. Who was a person that God put in your life today that helped you? Who was a person that God put in your life today to encourage you? Who was a person that God put in your life that you were supposed to help? Where were the areas that you fell short and asked for his forgiveness and grace? We must be a people, if we want to delight in God, we must be a people who remember that God is with us always and meditate on where he has been with us all throughout the day. Because in all honesty, we are forgetful people. Like we are super forgetful. Just this morning, I forgot my water bottle was up in the sound room. I was looking for it for like 10 minutes. I couldn't find it. Or keys. Some of you are terrible at losing your keys. We are forgetful people and God's people have always been forgetful people. Just I think about the disciples and Jesus had told them he's going to die on the cross and he's going to raise from the dead after three days. But they forgot. And then after uh, Jesus has resurrected from the grave, he tells all of his followers, hey, you know, I, my grace is sufficient for you. You don't have to earn your salvation. And yet Christians from all eternity, they forget that. And they try to earn their own salvation. We are forgetful people. And when we forget, we don't feast on God. When we forget what God has done for us, we don't feast on God. We don't find our satisfaction in him. One pastor said it this way. He said, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, if you don't feel strong desire for the presence of God in your life, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. It is because you nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is so stuffed with small things and there is no room for the great. It's like getting together at a Thanksgiving get-together. And uh, this is how we have typically done it in our family. You just come over early, you watch football, you hang out, and the feast isn't until, you know, until about 5 o'clock. And so uh, there's some snacks out. 
There's chips and salsa and cheese dip. There's little smokies. There's pickles and there's different fruits and things like that. And so I just nibble all day long. And so when we get to the actual feast, the Thanksgiving dinner, I'm already full. I don't get to experience the feast, which is so much better. And the same is true so often of our souls. We nibble at things for so long and we start delighting in other things other than God. We start delighting in money, in success, in sex, in money, in power, in popularity. And these are momentary distractions, momentary desires that are distracting us from the deepest desire of our soul, which is Jesus. He is who our souls truly need. And actually, these desires, they deform us. That's what's so serious about sin, is that every single sin is like a little crack to our soul. And it begins to deform us. It, de- it begins to deshape us. And our souls begin to disintegrate. It's like driving a car without a steering wheel. We don't know how long you're going to be driving. But we do know at some point you are going to wreck. You are going to crash. And the same is true of our souls. If we don't find our satisfaction in Him at some point, our souls are going to crash. And so what do we do? What do we do if you're about to crash? You've been toying with sin for a long time. What do you do? What do you do if you don't know where you're at in this spectrum? What do you do in these moments? Well, David tells us in verse 8. Listen to what he says in verse 8. He says, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. I love how the message paraphrases this. He says, I hold on to you for dear life. In every single moment of our lives, no matter where you are in your journey with Jesus, You must cling to Jesus. I'm reminded of when I was dating Janelle, who is now my wife. Janelle's favorite thing to do in the world is to ride horses. So if you have any horses and you want to ride around, invite my wife. She would love to go with you. So anyways, uh, that's not my favorite thing in the world to do. I'm allergic to horses. And not only that, horses are powerful and they're majestic and they're pretty they can also kill me. And so I, I recognize that. And so my favorite thing to do on a horse is to walk. Like if we're going to do anything, I don't want to be galloping. I don't want let me just walk with you. That'll be fun. And so one night we were out. Uh, her parents have some land and they have some trees. It's almost like a little forest in Kansas, if you can imagine that. A forest in Kansas. And it's night. The stars are shining overnight. It, it's a beautiful, romantic night. Well, all of a sudden, as we're just walking... One of the trail cameras, because they, uh, they have lots of deer, one of their trail cameras goes off and it flashes. And it spooked the horses. And because we were walking, I didn't have my feet in the stirrups. And so the next thing I know, Mindy, Janelle's horse, who doesn't like me anyways because I stole her best friend away from her, she was running as fast as she could. And I don't have my feet in the stirrups, so I think I'm going to die. And so I'm just holding on as long as I can. We're going down into a creek, up and over, and I think I'm going to die. So I'm holding on. I'm clinging on to the saddle as much as I possibly can because my life depends on it. Thankfully, we survived, and we're here today. But our soul, our soul's life does depend on this. We must cling to Jesus because we have an enemy. We have an adversary who is out to seek and to destroy us. He wants nothing more than for you to let go of Jesus. And so we must cling to him 
He is the anchor of our soul. He is the assurance of our salvation. He is the hope. He is our promise. We cling to Jesus. And when we do that, our souls will begin to delight in God. And the last lesson we learn from Psalm 63 when it comes to our soul is that our soul is defended by God. Our soul is defended by God. When we trust in Jesus, when we cling on to him, our soul is defended. Listen to verses 9 through 11. But those who seek to destroy my life, that word there is soul, nephesh in the Hebrew, those who seek to destroy my soul shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exult, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. So David, he expresses his confidence in God here. He knows that God is going to protect him. He knows that the mouths of the liars will be stopped. He knows that those who are after his life, they're chasing after him, that God will stop them. And so he knows that God, even though he's running away, will protect him. And as Christians, we believe that God will protect us as well, but not in the same way. God is not going to promise us physical protection. In fact, he promises us the opposite. He says, when you become a follower, you can expect persecution. You can expect for people to try and take your life. But what he does promise us is that he promises that he will defend our souls. He will protect us our souls. In Mark chapter 8, this is one of the most famous teachings of Jesus, but it's also one of the most difficult to truly understand and live out in our lives. It comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and following. Jesus says this to his disciples and to a crowd. He says, if anyone would come after me, if anybody wants to follow me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life, that word there is actually soul, will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. So what that is saying there, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, you must die. But by dying, you will live. By dying, I will protect you. By dying, your soul will be defended by God. And on Judgment Day, when we are there before God, Jesus will be our advocate. Jesus will be our defender. Jesus will say, let these ones in because they clung to me. There's nothing that we could ever do on our own to deserve spending eternity with God. And yet Jesus, because of his death and resurrection on the cross, he says, let them in. I desire a relationship with them. So no matter where you are in your life, cling to Jesus, because when you do that, he will defend your soul. And so if you've never made that decision before, I want to encourage you, make that decision today. Tell Jesus that you want him to be your defender and cling to him, because if you do, Your soul will desire God, your soul will delight in God, and your soul will be defended by God. One last story of a soul that delighted in God. His name is Horatio Spafford. Pretty cool name, not sure where he came from. But Horatio Spafford, he lived in the 1800s, and he was a lawyer up in Chicago. And he used basically all of his money to invest in real estate in Chicago. 
And many of you know what happened in 1871. The great Chicago fire basically burned everything down. And so Horatio lost just about everything except his family. Two years later, he was going to go with his family to England to see the famous preacher who was their friend, Dwight L. Moody. So they were going to England, but Horatio had some business matters he had to attend to, and so he was going to meet them in England. And so that he sends the family off, his wife and their four daughters, they go off to England while he's doing the business matters, and two days later, he receives a telegraph from his wife. It said, saved alone, what shall I do? You see, Horatio... He lost all four of his daughters. They were killed in a shipwreck. He basically lost everything. And so Horatio, he hopped in a ship to go to England to meet his wife. And as his ship was passing over the exact point where his daughters had drowned, he penned some of the most beautiful lyrics to a hymn we've ever heard. Let me read those lyrics to you. We're going to sing them in just a moment. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. As a follower of Jesus, Horatio understood that if his soul had Jesus, he had everything that he needed. Horatio understood that our souls were designed to delight in God, and the only way that they can is through Jesus Christ. So let me ask you one last time, how is your soul? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being a God who loves us so much, who pursues us, who wants our whole, our whole self, our whole soul to worship you, and you want what's best for us. And we know that what's best for us is Jesus. And so I pray, Lord, that you would put a desire in our hearts to know him and cling to him. And I pray for those who have never made that decision to follow you, Jesus. Today would be that day. We thank you for being a good, good father. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.